the wilderness, hot, dry, barren place where the hills are like dust heaps and rocks are bare and jagged and the air radiates heat like a vast furnace. And I'm thinking that might not feel so bad today. But I've also been in the desert in Arizona in the middle of July. And I know that with that kind of heat at that time of year, the wilderness can be less than an inviting place. At any rate, it seems to me ironic that Jesus, who has just been called out and baptized and identified as God's beloved one, should immediately afterward find himself in this place of desolation and led there by the Spirit. But then again, maybe there is no irony here. The people of Israel, right after experiencing the jubilation of having been delivered by God from their slavery in Egypt, found themselves wandering in the wilderness too. They wandered there for 40 years, struggling to learn who God was calling them to be. And now we see Jesus on the heels of this very powerful experience of calling and blessing, wandering in the wilderness, not for 40 years, but for 40 days, struggling to learn what it means to be God's son. You know, there's really nothing like the wilderness to help us confront the realities of our lives. In the wilderness... There are no distractions. There, we come face to face with our vulnerability and our pain. There, we can see more clearly our deepest motivations and our highest priorities. There, if we listen, we hear our deepest longings. So the wilderness, barren though it be, can be a gift, a gift that allows us time and space to see ourselves as we really are. But the wilderness is also a place of temptation, a place where we are confronted by fear, and a place where our fear tempts us to trust in other than God Almighty. The people of Israel were tempted during their sojourn in the wilderness. Even though God had delivered them from their oppression, they found it difficult to trust in God's provision. When they found themselves in the wilderness without bread, they complained bitterly to God. What have you done? Did you liberate us from Egypt only to bring us out here in the desert to starve? When they found themselves in the wilderness without water, they grumbled at Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us die of thirst? And when Moses withdrew to the mountain to commune with God, the people grew restless in his absence and they said, well, maybe we've been abandoned. Well, just in case, let's create a God that's more visible, one that we can see. So they built a golden calf to worship. And now, as Jesus wanders in the wilderness, he is tempted too. As he wanders, he becomes tired and very, very, very hungry. In Luke's words, famished. I would be too after 40 days. 
the high from his baptismal experience wears off as he catches a glimpse of what he has been chosen for. Yes, his ministry will involve healing and kingdom-revealing work, moments of pure joy and exhilaration. But there will also be hours and days and weeks of great demand and heavy expectation and periods of doubt and exhaustion and opposition to his work and suffering, even cross-bearing. It is here, in this wilderness, in this vulnerable time, that the devil comes to tempt Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Can you really trust the one who calls you son to provide for you in this wilderness? Don't you think you might be better off placing your trust in someone or something else? Mindful of Jesus' hunger, the devil first tempts Jesus with bread. If you are the son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. It's easy, Jesus, really. I mean, if you are the Son of God, you have extraordinary power. Use it to satisfy your hunger. Use it to your benefit. In this temptation, Jesus is confronted by hunger. Yes, his own physical hunger after having fasted for 40 days. But also, his hunger to meet the needs of all those who will soon be pressing in on him. His hunger to make things better, to alleviate suffering, to fix things. The devil reminds Jesus that if he is indeed, if he is truly the Son of God, he has the power to act. He need only turn stones to bread, bread that will quell Jesus' own gnawing hunger, bread that will alleviate the suffering of the multitudes and turn them into his faithful followers. Do it, Jesus. Do it. Trust in the power of bread to satisfy your deepest hungers. And I wonder... In what ways do we find ourselves tempted by the power of bread? I suspect this temptation comes to us not so much in the wilderness as it does in the comfort of our own homes as we absorb the predominant messages of our culture. Consume and you will be satisfied We learn through all the messages that we are bombarded with day by day that our happiness is linked to, in fact, even depends upon the car we drive, the clothes we wear, the home we live in, and even the kind of deodorant that we use. If we only possess and consume the right things, we will be satisfied except that none of these things ever quite fills us. None of these things ever satisfies our deepest hungers, and the resulting chronic dissatisfaction can drive us to spend increasing amounts of time, energy, and money in the pursuit of more. In bread, we trust. 
As Jesus himself is tempted by the power of bread, his response to the devil is firm. One does not live by bread alone, he recites, recalling the words of Moses to the people of Israel as Moses reminded them of God's provision for them in the wilderness. Bread is important. Yes, it really is. It's difficult for people to come them to know themselves as children of the living and loving God when they are chronically hungry. And we see this concern addressed throughout Jesus' ministry as he feeds the multitudes. But we also see, as Jesus faces this temptation, that as important as bread is for human sustenance, it is not nearly as important as faith, as trust in the one who provides it. A second temptation comes to Jesus as the devil shows him, in an instant, all the kingdoms of the world. I will give you all the kingdoms of the world, the devil entices him, if you bow down and you worship me. The devil tempts Jesus with power. This temptation comes not only from the devil. It will come from some of Jesus' closest friends. There were those among his ranks, even among his chosen 12, who were zealots. These zealots were revolutionaries. They wanted to forcefully overthrow the Roman government and restore an independent Jewish state. For them, the long-awaited Messiah would be the military ruler who would accomplish all this. As crowds gathered around Jesus and followed him wherever he went, even into Jerusalem, his followers couldn't help thinking, they couldn't help hoping that Jesus was the king who would liberate them from the tyranny of their oppressors. There was immense pressure for Jesus to fulfill these expectations. So the devil's offer was surely tempting. If Jesus had power over all the nations of the world, he could finally make things right. He could finally bring justice and an end to suffering. All he needed to do was to worship the devil. All he needed to do was to worship the God of power. I wonder, in what ways are we tempted to worship the God of power? It's not that power, defined as the ability to act, is a bad thing. It's not. God gives us power. Power is a gift. It gives us the ability to live lives of integrity, to bear witness to God's kingdom, to contribute to the well-being and healing of our world. Power, however, does become a problem when we grasp for it, to avoid coming to terms with our own vulnerability. It becomes a problem when we are controlled by our lust for it, by our drive to be on top, by our need to be in control in our families and in our churches and in our political and economic systems. 
And we're seeing in the brokenness of this world and in the brokenness of our own political system where this hunger for power leads to. When attaining power and control becomes our highest goal, we have made a pact with the devil. Once again, Jesus resists the devil's temptation, and once again, his response is grounded in Scripture. This time from Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Jesus knew that God's kingdom would not come as a result of power seeking or power seizing. It would come through suffering and death and faithfulness to the one who had sent him. His words remind us as we struggle with our own issues related to power that God's kingdom comes into fullness not through an opportunist, opportunistic alliance with the devil, but by faithfulness to a God whose power reveals itself not through domination, but through self-emptying love. Jesus faces his third temptation on the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. In a sheer drop-off, 450 feet below, lay the Kidron Valley. And the devil says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Cunningly, the devil uses scripture to entice Jesus. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And perhaps you will have recognized that these words are from Psalm 91 that we heard read here this morning. Perhaps you are also wondering just why Jesus would have been tempted to jump. Given my own dislike of heights, I don't understand it at all. All. But the temptation for Jesus was real. It was real because I can imagine that he longed for a tangible sign of God's presence with him. He needed proof to convince others that he was the Messiah. I mean, after all, people did expect that the Messiah would perform miraculous feats. If Jesus jumped from the temple and then was snatched away to safety, it would be a convincing sign to all the people that he was God's chosen one. And it's also possible that Jesus needed a sign to convince himself, to reassure himself that God was actually with him in a special way. Jesus knew the road ahead was not going to be easy. He knew that he would be likely to encounter resistance, persecution, how good it would be to have some tangible proof that God would be there to protect him and to rescue him from the dangers that lay ahead. If only he could know without a doubt that God would rescue him from pain. Despite what must have been a very intense longing, Jesus again resists temptation by quoting scripture, this time Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Instead of trusting the God who rescues us from pain, Jesus chooses to place his trust in the God who walks with us through thick and thin. And what an act of courage that is. Certainly, none of us likes pain or struggle or death. Quite rightly, we ask God, and sometimes we implore God to spare us from it. And yet, and yet, pain, struggle, death, for whatever reason, are part of the fabric of life, woven into the tapestry of our existence. And sometimes our faithful following of God leads us right into it. Jesus knew this. And there in the wilderness, he makes a choice. He makes a choice to refuse to trust in the God who would rescue him from all pain, the God who would swoop down and snatch him from the cross at the last minute. Rather, he chooses to trust in the God who reveals an even greater miracle. The miracle of God walking with us, caring for us, and healing us at the cost of God's own suffering and pain. The miracle of God bringing life from death, good from persistent evil. The miracle of God redeeming the world. And so we see Jesus emerging from this wilderness experience with a clearer vision of his calling and a deepened trust in the one who sent him. There in the wilderness, stripped of self-protection and confronted by his own vulnerability, Jesus has come face to face with his own longing to alleviate the world's suffering and to have power to accomplish his goals and to come out in the end unscathed by the forces resisting God's movement in this world. And he is tempted to satisfy this longing by pursuing paths paved by the devil. Yet somehow, in and through this wilderness experience, Jesus becomes attentive to an even more deeper longing stirring within him, a longing for God, rooted in God's longing for him, a longing to be faithful to the one who loves him and has called him and has promised to walk faithfully with him wherever the journey leads. This is holy longing. This longing for God, as God longs for us. It was a gift of the wilderness for Jesus, and it can be a gift for us. Yes, wilderness is a place of vulnerability and temptation. 
a place of struggle and sometimes pain. And yet, it is also a gift. A gift that offers us clarity of perspective to see ourselves as we really are. A gift that helps us discover misplaced trust lurking in our shadows. A gift that gives us space to listen deeply to our deepest longings and to find them connecting with God's deepest longings for us. And so as we find ourselves on the edge of whatever wilderness awaits us, may we be of good courage. Jesus, who has gone there before us, walks beside us through it. May we emerge with him with greater clarity of God's vision for this world, with deepened trust in the one who loves us and calls us and strengthens us to join in with what God is doing. May we emerge from this place with deeper awareness of holy longing stirring within and courage to follow where it leads.